Welcome to another issue of Essential Environmental. I'm your host, Terry Montoya, but I have exciting news. I was a partner with the law firm of Alvarado Smith, but as of January 1st, we have merged with the firm of Frost Brown Todd. So now we are close to 550 attorneys across 17 states and the District of Columbia. We have three offices, Alvarado Smith's offices in Orange County. Los Angeles and San Francisco are now Frost Brown Todd's California presence. So I'm excited. I will be continuing to do environmental work, doing so um, throughout the state, but also on a national basis. So there, you are up to date. As always, before I start on the topic, I give my uh, opening warning that this is not a legal opinion. I'm sharing with you current environmental trends, current environmental topics, explaining environmental concepts, hopefully distilling them in a understandable way for those that are uh, regulated, those that retain people such as myself, regulated businesses under California permit system, developers, landowners whose property at some point may be deemed contaminated, either soil, volatile organic compounds, and or groundwater, as well as Clean Water Act enforcement, which brings us to today's topic. That is EPA's enforcement authority under the Clean Water Act's definition of waters of the United States, which is about to change. Change maybe a little, maybe a lot, We're going to explore that concept today. So, the pending United States Supreme Court decision in Sackett versus the Environmental Protection Agency on EPA's ability to regulate development on wetlands and EPA's proposed new definition of waters of the United States both could impact California's developers, and landowners in limited ways, i.e. on Wetlands Project, which is the issue in the Sackett case, but in a more sweeping manner, should the Supreme Court decide to use Sackett as the basis for challenging EPA's authority to regulate certain kinds of private property. Regarding EPA's new Waters of the United States definition, It's really a return to pre-2015 parameters with a nod towards keeping Justice Kennedy's nexus definition alive. In the arid west, California in particular, where there are lots of dry streams, swales, creek beds, the nexus element will continue to expand EPA's clean water authority over water bodies that may be dry for most of the year or years in drought conditions and only carry water during storm periods or seasons. The impact to California developers and landowners would be significant as they could unwittingly, or you could do it intentionally too, but 
unwittingly alter or impact the bed and banks of a dry creek, which EPA could later claim represents waters of the United States. So, in this podcast, I will explain the Sackett decision and the EPA's new definition of waters of the United States, and I say in brackets, really not so new, but taking the definition back to 2015, back to the future of sorts, end of brackets. Well, let's continue the brackets because if you want to know a little bit about me, I'm a big fan of the Back to the Future movies, but that's for another discussion. And we're going to end with some action items for California's developers and landowners. So let's explain the Sackett case. In 2004, the Sacketts purchased a soggy residential lot that was some 300 feet from Priest Lake in northern Idaho, northern Idaho, but separated from the lake by a roadway. The Sacketts ran an investig- excavation company and intended on building a home on their lot. The Sacketts were granted a county building permit to construct their home. In April and May of 2007, the Sacketts dumped sand and gravel fill onto the lot to create a buildable pad. Seeing this activity, on a tip from a neighbor presumably, EPA halted the Sackett's infill work after determining that the Sackett's lot contained a federally protected wetland. Acting under its Clean Water Act authority, EPA ordered the Sackett's to remove the dirt and gravel fill to cease any further construction, and to restore the property to its natural state. The Sacketts instead sued EPA in 2008, and some 14 years later, the case is finally before the Supreme Court. The story of why this case took a Homeric 14-year legal journey is a story of its own, but not for today. At oral argument before the Supreme Court, the Sackett's lawyer, Damien Schiff, asked the court to adopt a stringent test to determine whether the Clean Water Act applies to a wetland. Mr. Schiff argued that a wetland can only be regulated if it blends or flows into a neighboring water, and that neighboring water must be a water of the United States. As Mr. Schiff described as representing a channel for interstate commerce. Under this test, which Mr. Schiff described as being simple and easy to administer, quote, ordinary citizens can use their own eyes to determine, end of quote, whether their property is a wetland subject to Clean Water Act jurisdiction. The Sacketts suggest a categorical rule that would preclude federal protection of waters such as wetlands and tributary streams where there is no continuous surface water connection between the wetland and the traditional navigable waterway. Mr. Schiff, in essence, is asking the court to relieve EPA 
of its Clean Water Act enforcement authority because the Sackett's wetlands were not physically connected to Priest Lake. There was the roadway in between. This is akin to Justice Antonin Scalia's wet water connection between a wetland and navigable waterway. That was the test he proposed in Rapinos, which we'll talk to we'll talk about in a bit. The Sackett's proposed rule would effectively shift the burden to protect non-adjacent wetlands to states under their building permit system. Now, we switch to the EPA's argument. Deputy Solicitor General Brian Fletcher represented the EPA and argued that the wetland on the Sackett's lot did not lose Clean Water Act protection by being separated from a larger body of water, Priest Lake, by a barrier, such as the roadway in this case, as for nearly 50 years, Congress had defined a, an adjacent wetland as being subject to Clean Water Act protection. During that 50-year time frame, EPA had protected wetlands under the Clean Water Act, although separated from navigable waters by barriers such as berms, dikes, levees, and dunes. The Sackett case highlights the divide as between two waters of the United States definition set forth in the Supreme Court's 2006 Rapinos versus United States decision. The Justice Scalia definition that limits EPA's Clean Water Act authority to wetlands that have a direct surface water connection to larger waterways like rivers or streams, or Justice Kennedy's broader nexus-based test that would federally protect wetlands that have a biological, hydrologic, or chemical impact on downstream waterways, and downstream waterways in, in many instances representing waterways that are, you know, many miles from the point of impact. The Supreme Court is again taking a look at the question of Clean Water Act jurisdiction. Let's take a look back. Let's go back, but not back to the future. Let's go back to how the Supreme Court has wrestled with this issue in the past and then transition to the EPA's January 18, rather, 2023 final rule defining waters of the United States that essentially takes us back to a pre 2015 definition. All right, so we're going to go back in time and see how we got here. Congress enacted the Clean Water Act to restore and maintain the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of the nation's waters. Quoting from the Clean Water Act, 33 U.S.C. 1251, subsection A. The act extends to all navigable waterways, defined as waters of the United States, including territorial seas, and it prohibits any person who lacks a permit from discharging pollutants, such as concrete, rocks, and sand into those waters in the same infill kind of manner that the Sackets employed. If EPA finds that a violation is occurring, 
one of its enforcement options is to issue an administrative compliance order, as was issued to the Sacketts. A compliance order describes the nature of the violation and requires the recipient to cease the illegal discharge activity. To enforce a compliance order, EPA may bring an enforcement action in federal district court. And, you know, there are also uh, cases in which um, individuals that violate the Clean Water Act ignore EPA's orders. They can go to federal prison. Since the Clean Water Act was enacted, agencies and courts have struggled to identify the outer definitional limits of the phrase waters of the United States, which in turn defines the scope of the federal government's regulatory jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act, regulatory jurisdiction, which would also apply to someone trying to build a a residence on the property, as in the Sackett case. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers known affectionately as just the Corps, first issued regulations defining waters of the United States in the 1970s, shortly after the Clean Water Act took effect. Initially, the Corps determined that the Clean Water Act covered only waters that were navigable in fact. But the Corps later adopted different broader interpretations that remained in effect at the time the Sacketts received the compliance order. As relevant here, the regulations defined waters of the United States to include wetlands that are adjacent to traditional navigable waters and their tributaries. Tributaries, rather. Wetlands were defined as areas that are inundated or saturated by surface or groundwater at a frequency and duration sufficient to support and that under normal circumstances do support a prevalence of vegetation typically adapted for life in saturated soil conditions. Wetlands are a unique ecosystem. Adjacent was defined as bordering, contiguous, or neighboring, and the regulations explicitly stated that adjacent wetlands included wetlands separated from other waters of the United States by artificial dikes or barriers. So, you can tell that Congress's adjacent wetlands definition is going to pose a problem for the Sacketts. More on that later. The Supreme Court addressed the issue of what defines waters of the United States in three significant decisions. The first was a 1985 decision called United States versus Riverside Bayview Bayview Homes, Inc. In Clean Water Act worlds, Clean Water Act circles, we call it Riverside Bayview Homes. In that decision, the Supreme Court approved the Corps' 1975 interpretation of the Clean Water Act, which included wetlands as waters of the United States. The court ruled that navigable waters applied to wetlands that actually abutted on traditional navigable waterways. The court's ruling in Riverside Bayview Homes rejected 
a narrower interpretation of the Clean Water Act, holding that waters of the United States were limited to traditional navigable waters. Moving forward to 2001, the Supreme Court again considered whether wetlands could be protected as waters of the United States in the Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County versus U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, a 2001 decision. Now try and say that several times in a row, which is why in Clean Water Act parlance that case is called swank. It's not a very swanky case, it's just called swank. In Swank, the Army Corps of Engineers applied waters of the United States status to isolated wetlands ponds that served as habitat for migratory birds. The Army Corps of Engineers reasoned that under the migratory bird rule, it could extend its Clean Water Act jurisdiction to isolated sand and gravel pits that seasonally ponded so long as those waters were used as habitat by certain migratory birds. So if you, if you had some property and you had some pit areas or some depressions and water accumulated in those depressions and migratory birds landed on those, you could have a protected wetland on your property, protected by the Clean Water Act. The Supreme Court disagreed, however. The court distinguished the case Swank from its previous ruling in Riverside Bayview Homes, where the wetlands in that case were adjacent to navigable waters. Here in Swank, the court concluded that isolated waters were not navigable waters, so the isolated ponds were not wetlands subject to Clean Water Act protection. Finally, we get to the 2006 Rapinos versus United States decision, where the Supreme Court considered whether wetlands located near ditches or man-made drains that eventually emptied into traditional navigable waters represented Clean Water Act enforceable waters of the United States. Here's the problem. Rapinos was not a majority decision, resulting in subsequent confusion, and that's to put it mildly, over what constitutes waters of the United States. Justice Scalia wrote the plurality opinion, and Justice Kennedy wrote a concurring opinion, and the remaining justices split 4-1-4, three justices joining in Justice Scalia's opinion, Justice Kennedy writing his concurrence with the remaining four justices dissenting. It's kind of a mess. Justice Scalia concluded that the phrase, the waters of the United States included only those relatively permanent, standing, or continuously flowing bodies of water forming geographic features that are described in ordinary parlance as streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes. In other words, waters of the United States that you would normally think of. The plurality also concluded that wetlands are covered by the Clean Water Act based on their adjacency to other waters 
only if wetlands have a continuous surface connection to bodies that are waters of the United States in their own right. In other words, constant wet water connection, spillover connection. Wetlands directly touching a water of the United States in common parlance, a stream, an ocean, a river, a lake. Justice Kennedy filed a concurring opinion in which no other justices joined. He took the view that wetlands are covered by the Clean Water Act if they possess a significant nexus to traditional navigable waters, stating that wetlands possess the requisite nexus and thus come within the statutory phrase of navigable waters if the wetlands, either alone or in combination with similarly situated lands in the region, significantly affect the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of other covered waters more readily understood as navigable. So, under Justice Kennedy's significant nexus rule, you have a whole series of subsequent cases where there's a water body, there's a tributary, there's a creek that sustained a a release of some sort of contaminant or concrete or fill or was disturbed, and then miles down the way connects to a tributary that's considered waters of the United States. That significant nexus is what extends Clean Water Act protection, sometimes sometimes many, many miles and several water bodies down, down slope. Four dissenting justice would have held that wetlands may be treated as covered waters if they satisfied either the plurality or Justice Kennedy's test. So, subsequent to Rapinos, most districts followed Justice Kennedy's significant nexus standard. Now, let's get to EPA's final rule defining waters of the United States, which was invoked recently while the Sackett case is still pending. EPA published its new Waters of the United States definition on January 18, 2023, the definition taking effect on March 20, 2023. The new rule reinstates the definition of waters of the United States that was first adopted in 1986 as modified by the Supreme Court's 2006 Rapinoe's decision. The new definition lists waters of the United States as including wetlands that are adjacent to traditional navigable waters or that meet either the relatively permanent test, Justice Scalia's test, or the significant nexus test. So, the new definition adopts Congress's adjacent wetlands definition and concept under either test. Waters that are considered traditional navigable waters to include waters used for interstate commerce, foreign commerce, tidal waters, territorial seas, interstate wetlands, the traditional definition of what constitutes waters. It also includes tributaries that meet either the relatively permanent or significant nexus tests as both are defined in the Rapinoe's decision. The new 
in quotes, waters of the United States rule would essentially grant federal jurisdiction to waters that meet the two definitions stated in Rapinos, Justice Scalia's plurality opinion, or the significant nexus standard outlined by Justice Kennedy's concurring opinion. The Supreme Court's decision in Sackett could jeopardize the significant nexus standard as applied to wetlands on the Sackett lot. The Sacketts asked the Supreme Court to reject federal jurisdiction over wetlands unless they are directly connected to a traditional navigable waterway or relatively permanent tributary. Should the Supreme Court in Sackett reject the significant nexus test, EPA's new rule would be in jeopardy. All right. So what does this all mean? Let's talk about a developer and landowner call to action here. Let's consider some of the options the Supreme Court has in the Sackett case that would also impact the new water of the United States rule. First, the conservative majority could abandon Justice Kennedy's significant nexus rule in favor of Justice Scalia's wet water direct connection between a wetland and a traditional navigable waterway. To me, that seems quite a leap to make based on the facts and law in the Sackett case. From my analysis of the oral argument transcript, there did not seem to be a conservative majority that agreed with Sackett's argument that the federal government should not tell them what to do with their land. As Justice Barrett Kavanaugh and Roberts reminded Mr. Schiff, Sackett's attorney, that Congress's definition of adjacent wetlands was a major problem impacting Sackett's argument. As several of these justices noted, Congress expresses its clear intent in the Clean Water Act that EPA has jurisdiction over adjacent wetlands tied to navigable waterways, and that jurisdiction could not be passed on to the states. And, you know, they were talking about Clean Water Act Section 1341, subsection G. There, Congress also expressed its intent to define an adjacent wetland as one that was essentially neighboring a navigable waterway, and Congress chose not to define adjacent as touching waters of the United States, as the Sacketts argued. Rather, Congress defined adjacent as meaning in the proximity sense, in the proximity of a navigable waterway. I don't think the court will choose to eviscerate EPA's enforcement authority to administer the Clean Water Act in this wetlands context, given that Congress has spoken to the need to protect adjacent wetlands to protect the integrity of waters of the United States. Congress's intention to protect adjacent wetlands seems to me to mitigate against the court using the Sackett case as the basis to tackle the overall major question of whether the federal government can regulate 
certain types of private property. The court could go down that path and invoke the quote-unquote major question doctrine that was the foundation for its 2022 ruling in the West Virginia versus EPA climate case where the court held that EPA's regulation of existing power plants under the Clean Air Act fell within the major questions doctrine. And in that regard, EPA was precluded from regulating emissions from existing power plants based on generation shifting mechanisms because, and here's the key point, because Congress did not grant it express authority to do so. As a result of this ruling, EPA could not address climate change by regulating power plants in the specific manner EPA proposed. All right, let's take that and apply it to to the Sackett case. I don't think it's likely the court will use Sackett as the platform to invoke the major questions doctrine when, because, as noted, Congress granted EPA the authority to regulate adjacent wetlands as waters of the United States. Again, there's a 50-year congressional definition of what constitutes adjacent waterways, and if it falls within the ambit of that definition, Congress intends EPA to regulate adjacent wetlands as waters of the United States. I think Sackett will remain a wetlands case with a ruling addressing what does adjacent mean. So, let's look at the impact in the arid western states, California in particular. What is the Sackett and new waters of the United States definition takeaway? If a developer or landowner suspects that it will disturb a creek bed, a swale, a dry ravine, any drainage feature with a defined bed and bank system, one should consult with the Army Corps of Engineers to obtain a pre-development opinion as to whether the watercourse, although dry for most of the year or dry for several years and wet during storm seasons, get an opinion as to whether that water body falls within the definition of waters of the United States, again, as it may connect sometime miles downstream to a navigable water body. The Sacketts decided to ignore the wetlands on their property, ignore EPA's authority, and simply proceed with excavation and infill. Doing that will expose you to potential federal criminal charges, a severe penalty structure, and years of costly infill removal and habitat restoration. Let me share with you a case where I represent a landowner and the case, which is now on its fourth year, and <laughs> we're we're somewhat we're months away from from closing it out. We're months away from getting a city permit to begin the Army Corps of Engineers agreed upon creek restoration plant and California Department of Fish and Game wetland restoration program. Let's start at the beginning, though. What happened was client had property in which the rear portion of the lot abutted a ravine. 
This ravine had been there. It's a, it's a long-standing geographic feature. It has uh, banks. It has a, a, a ravine bed. Those bed and banks are altered during the storm season when water flows in torrents, depending on the, uh, the amount of rainfall we have in Southern California. But there can be torrential flows. And because of that, during one particularly rainy season, our client decided that part of his rear yard was being eroded away at an alarming rate. And so he decided, as others apparently had done upstream, to put a erosion control measure that would essentially tie the banks of his property. And essentially it's known as a Gabion, G-A-B-I-O-N, basket system. You pour some concrete within the ravine bed that holds the bottom, the toe of the Gabion system up. And the Gabion system is a system of heavy-duty wire mesh system with concrete blocks inside of it. And those get put along the bed that bordered our client's property so that when the torrential waters would come down the ravine, the Gabion concrete system would keep the bank from being eroded. All right. Well, as is usually the case, the Army Corps of Engineers found out about that from a tip from a neighbor. And Army Corps of Engineers sent an investigator down to walk the, the ravine, to knock on the door of our client's house and, and ask, hey, were you the one that put in that nice Gabion basket system and, and concrete on the, on the floor, on the bed of the ravine? Yes, we did. We were losing, losing our rear yard to significant storm flows. Then comes a letter that will make most people's hair stand on end from the Army Corps of Engineers indicating that there's been a Clean Water Act violation, that the stream is actually protected waters of the United States because further downstream it connects with another tributary that empties into the Pacific Ocean, threatening federal criminal charges and demanding immediate contact with the Army Corps of Engineers. I get retained. First two years, I have to deal with the Army Corps of Engineers penalty system, which have a good relationship with the Army Corps of Engineers. The penalty system was waived because you also in California have to deal with the Regional Water Quality Control Board, which also has jurisdiction over any contaminant put into a water body. And this dry creek bed for most of the year or years is considered a water body. And concrete is considered a contaminant both under the Clean Water Act and both under the California Water Code. And the Regional Water Quality Control Board's penalty system is very severe. Their penalty started out as over $700,000. I fought with them, got it down to 400 something I continued to fight with them, and I still don't know. I still don't know how I did it, but I felt like the luckiest guy in the world, and I did buy a, lo- a lottery ticket that day after I left the Los Angeles Regional Water Quality Control Board office when I concluded a settlement of the penalties down to 
and, and change. Um, no, I didn't win the lottery, but I still felt lucky. That took months of, of effort. Then you have to come up with a remediation plan, which called for removing all of the concrete, removing all of the gabion baskets, restoring the slope, and then negotiating, consulting with the California Department Fishing Game because the slope above the natural water course was considered native grassland. And so the slope would have to be restored. Native grasses would have to be put in. The slope would have to be restored back to a pitch, to an elevation that would allow the grasses to not be swept away by storm flows. That took a long time because the California Department of Fish and Game was underfunded and had five different case managers. So that takes us to year three. I get all of that done. Then we have to get a city permit. And then we have to comply with the California Environmental Qualities Act. Cities understaffed, underfunded. I'm just getting to the point now where we have a CEQA, CEQA project determination. So we're about six months away from doing the remediation work, which also involves, under California Fish and Dame requirements, five years of habitat monitoring. So you can see how Clean Water Act issues can surprise you when you're dealing with doing any sort of development or work and you happen to be close to or adjacent to a little creek, a little swale, a little ravine. You think... This can't be anything. This is not a traditional waterway. This is not a river, stream, or tributary. I've only seen it, you know, carry water once in the last two, three years. Could be surprised. It could, 14 miles down down its path, lead to waters of the United States. Clean Water Act in the arid states of California are, uh, are a major concern if you see any sort of depression or swale in the vicinity of your property. Consult an attorney, such as myself. Consult with the Army Corps of Engineers and the Regional Water Quality Control Board and California Fish and Game and see before any soil is disturbed, before any construction activity occurs, whether there's a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you very much for listening. Terry Montoya, you can reach me at T Montoya, T-M-O-N-T-O-Y-A, at fbtlaw.com. Let me know what you think of the program. You can also reach me by by phone, 714-852-6862. I thank you very much for listening and wish you a pleasant day. Thank you.